You guys ready to do this? All right. Man, am I excited about today. Our speaker last, last week really challenged us about the fact that we are under new ownership, and that's really cool. Um, and he really, he really challenged us about our finances, and today I'm, I'm sure that he's going to be challenging us again. We share here at SOS, we share what's in the Word of God. That's what we do. You're not going to hear us push our opinion. You're not going to hear us uh, try to force something upon you. That's not what we do. We just share and we teach based on what the Word of God says, even about money, about whatever it is that you may be dealing with. Know that we're always going to give you what the written Word says. That's important for all of us to know. Please don't feel condemned by that, but be challenged. We have a saying, come as you are. Everyone, come as you are. We have another saying, no perfect people. We're not trying to build this establishment of perfect people because our world uh, doesn't understand perfect people, but we are trying to, to build a, a community of believers that reaches out to everyone. Come as you are, just don't stay that way. Learn, grow, move forward, take steps toward Christ, and I know that he's going to bless us. So I'm excited about our speaker today. I was excited. He challenged me last week. Come on up, Chad. He challenged me last week, and this week we're talking about budget Nazis. Budget the, t- the subject is budget Nazi. How many of you could be a budget Nazi out there? All right, we got a couple. Good. This is going to talk to you today. Um, I was really proud of myself. I went out and uh, I needed to get me a new shirt. I got a new shirt on, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I was really proud. I went out to get me a new shirt. And based on what our speaker had shared with me, I got me a $9 shirt. Nine bucks right here. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I- I was really proud of myself until my speaker, our speaker came in, my friend Chad, and I was bragging on how that I only paid nine bucks for my shirt, 25 cents right here. <laughs> so, so I feel like a heel, basically. But uh, I'm excited to have our speaker. We're going to let Chad take this right now. But before he does, we need to show you a video about Budget Nazi. Maybe they'll eat, maybe they won't eat. 
You know, we don't need that. We don't need that in our budget, kids' lunches. But that's Daryl. Oh, that wasn't in the budget. So your kid can't eat what? He's like, she can take some ramen noodle soup. She'll be fine. I'm like, here, she's sick. She doesn't. Ramen noodle. She can take it. I'm like, they don't have anywhere to cook it. She can eat it cold. I'm like, Derek, really? Cold, hard ramen noodle soup from the package. Break it and eat it like potato chips. That was his suggestion for the lunches. <sighs> the kids get lunch. They still eat. We find the money somewhere. But, like I said, it just you get a plan going. You have everything paid. And you're like, you zero your account balance. You have no money in there at all whatsoever. And then all of a sudden... Oh yeah, by the way, I need money for, the kids need money for pictures, or, you know, the, you know, Haley wants to go to the uh, skate ring this weekend, or, so they always get their things, but it's just painful. I guess you just can't plan for everything. I mean, nowadays I leave a little bit of extra, maybe I don't tell my wife about it, you know, I have 20, 30 bucks that's just sitting there. <laughs> 20 or 30 bucks just sitting there. Like, I'm so stupid. I don't know that it's sitting there. There's never 20 or 30 bucks just sitting there. There's always something that it's planned for. We have an old child. She's 14. She plays every sport on the planet. It's always gone. The money's always gone. But in my husband's defense, and I do have a defense of my husband, that I love more than anybody, I'm the spender. Without me, we'd have no fun. But without my husband, we'd have nothing nothing at all material because my husband keeps all the bills paid we have a nice house we have the car that i wanted to have my husband in defense he is a nazi that's only because i'm not careful at all at all so i don't have to worry because i know that he wears enough Derek not wearing a swastika on his arm. He's not having to hile him every other weekend when he comes home with a paycheck. <laughs>
with some assistant manager who was 19, you know, trying to impress him. But it was my very first job, my very first job interview. And I remember thinking, wow, when I would get my first checks, I remember thinking, man, what it must be like to make $100,000 in a year. Once I started getting checks, and I'm thinking 400 here, 500 here, and how much I worked for it, I thought, man, to make 100 grand, that's just got to be the holy grail, right? Because I would see these kids in high school, these teenagers, that they would be driving their cars, and I don't remember ever seeing them work anywhere, and their parents would buy them everything, and I thought that was the holy grail. That's what I wanted. That was the answer to everything. This was before I was a Christian. And I did pretty good pursuing that vein, but, but I plateaued somewhere uh, because I assumed that God knew that I had no business making $100,000 a year. I would have no idea what to do with it. I would do all the wrong things. And because my motives were all wrong. So I simply worked you know, 90 hours a week. I was working two jobs uh, right out of high school and right after graduation, and I was making like 40 grand for it, thinking that I was just really ready to break through, um, trying so hard to change my financial family tree And I was spinning my proverbial wheels because of that. My mom raised me and my sister on 800 bucks a month take home, both of us. And uh, I'm going to share a little bit about my my story. And I was a Christian. I became a Christian when I was 19. I was not raised in the church. I was baptized October 24th, 1994. I was 19 years old. um, Started dating a girl. She took me to church. I had ulterior motives. But God turned me around, Okay. God said, I don't care how I get you into church, but once I get you there, I'll do the rest. And so I was a Christian at the time, and I went to St. Louis Christian College right up here in Florida, and I blew my knee out the spring, the the January before I was going. I was going to play a little basketball. I was okay, Uh, no full scholarship or anything. But but I blew my knee out, and I thought I had medical insurance. And and i got to be careful. I had to write this down because if I start telling you my testimony, man, I could be here for an hour. Okay, so I got to... I had to write down exactly what I wanted to tell you. But I blew my knee out and had $9,000 hospital bill that I thought my medical insurance was going to cover, and it did not. So here I am, a full-time college student, trying to work, trying to pay off $9,000 worth of credit card, or credit card, uh, hospital bill. Well, I had a guy from my church named Ron Cowan. And this guy was just a phenomenal man. I was talking to him on the phone. He'd always send me about 20 bucks every other week and say, hey, go out for lunch. God bless you. I hope, hope things are going good. And I was talking to him on the phone one day, and he said, how are things going? I said, hey, you know, they're all right. He says, what's wrong? I said, well, I'm just trying to pay all these bills down. I got this $9,000 hospital bill over here. He says, you know, you ought to call the hospital because a lot of times they'll forgive it if you agree to pay a lower amount and you're making payments. So I said, well, I'll try it. I'll give him a call. Called him back and said, no go. They want their nine grand. I was actually that honest person making 50 bucks a month payments and they thought i'm going to milk this guy for everything he can you know if i would have just not sent payments in they would have said we're never going to get anything out of that guy and they wrote it off i was actually trying to do the right thing and it, and it bit me but i called ron back and 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 this was and again this was another one of those you know remember my when i became a christian um god cracked my universe when i realized that god owned it all and i didn't own all that stuff all that money i was trying to make i didn't own it it wasn't mine It was God's, and I was supposed to use it and manage it for him. That cracked my universe wide open. So fast forward a couple years to this point, and I had this conversation with Ron Cowan, and he says, you know how much was that? I said, it was nine grand, Ron. It's nine grand. I'm going to be paying it off for like 15 years. He says, you know what, Chad? We just need to put this behind us. Where do I write the check to? And a $9,000 hospital bill was gone like that. And God began to reform my universe that he had cracked open a few years ago. It wasn't finished, but I started realizing that God wanted me to make money not so I could buy my kids a car when they turned 16, 
God wants me to be blessed so that I can do that for somebody else. And I remember hanging up that phone and crying and say, God, someday I am going to do this for somebody else. I am going to do this for someone else. And I, but I wasn't quite there spiritually yet. Again, my universe is still being reformed, as yours will be. Over the next month, six months, year, I don't know. But my universe started to reform, but I wasn't there spiritually yet. But I knew that I wanted to do this for someone else, but it was starting to take shape. Then I remember having my first son, Asher, uh, several years later. I was working at Walmart at the time, and I remember thinking that the day that Asher was born, everybody cute and cuddly, Lindsay's at the hospital, and I left the hospital to drive home um, to get some stuff. And I remember this drive home, and I will never forget it because it is where my universe reformed itself and, and everything kind of came full circle because I remember having a conversation with God on my drive, my five-minute drive from the hospital to the house. And I said, God, I got to find something else. I can't continue to work 70 hours a week, expect to move this family that I've just created around the country for the next 20 years, being a Walmart man, being a company man. I want to be able to coach a ball team. I said, God, I don't care to make 100000 200000 All I want to do is be able to provide a decent life for my family, give them a shelter, give them clothing, and I want to be able to coach a ball team. I want to be able to coach a soccer team. That's all I want. And because, and when I told God that I needed to do this, I wanted to do this, I also told him I don't need to make that $100,000 anymore, God. I don't need to have all of this stuff. Because remember, God doesn't care how much you have as long as you don't. And up until that point, I cared quite a bit about what I had. And God knew that. But at this point, my universe is starting to take on its new form now. All I wanted to do was provide a decent life for my family. My mom did it for me for 800 bucks a month. I always had a house. I always had food. But what I didn't have was one more important ingredient for a young boy, and that's a daddy. My family divorced. My mom and dad divorced when I was nine years old. Saw my dad sporadically maybe every six months or so. Um, and I missed that. I learned a lot of things that the world's way instead of a daddy's way. And I told God that day, I said, I'm going to change my family tree. And that's when I realized and my universe came full circle and I realized that changing my family tree spiritually was so much more important than changing it financially. And once... God saw that I had things in that proper alignment in my head, finally. After all those years, he cracked me wide open. He started showing me what money was really supposed to do with Ron Cowan. And then fast forward a little bit longer when my son was born, and I finally got it all lined up. I finally got all the pieces put together. And God says, now, (laughs) now. I'll give you that hundred thousand. No, I'll tell you what, make it two hundred. No, I'll tell you what, make it three hundred. And you're still going to coach that ball team. You're still going to coach that soccer team. And I have. And it was the most rewarding paycheck I ever got to hand my son his medal after soccer season. And to be the coach and the assistant coach. And ironically enough, fast forwarding, Ron Cowan, that gentleman I told you about, the amazing man that helped reform part of my universe, he was a branch manager for A.G. Edwards. (laughs) And now I'm a branch manager for A.G. Edwards. God is very ironic. God loves irony. God will make you slap your knee and say, by golly, I couldn't have planned it any funnier than that. 
because I promised God I would do that for someone else, write that $9,000 check. And God said, oh, I know you will. And guess what? I'm going to put you in the exact position that this man is so that I make sure you do it. So I know that someday I've got to write a $9,000 check to somebody. And I don't know when. I don't know where. I'm ready. And whenever it presents itself, I look at everybody and think, oh, what do I need nine grand for? That's Tommy's like, hey, that's a lot of $9 shirts, isn't it, Tommy? But, man, i got to go. I'm sorry. Um, but when you prepare your spending plan, I say all that to tell you where I come from, but to say this, when God... When you do a spending plan, when you prepare a spending plan and you spend every dollar on paper on purpose, you spend every dollar on paper on purpose like the budget Nazi does, maybe a little to the extreme, but you show God and you show yourself, just as importantly, that you have things in alignment. You have them in proper order. The needs and the wants are properly titled and they are ranked accordingly. Now, God doesn't need you to do this. God knows exactly where things line up. He can see your NCAA bracket. He sees how things are seated, okay? But He needs you to understand it. And when you put it down on paper, there's something about putting it on paper for you to read or for more importantly, for someone else to read that really makes it a lot more real that really brings it home. You know, um, when you put it down on paper that French manicured nails are a necessity to one of the, the, the daily living, there's just something a little weird about that. You know, because in your mind, a French manicure... Look at everybody. Everybody looks into everybody's nails. Who's got French manicures in here? I'm not picking on it. Scott, you got some? I'm not picking on you. But if it's not down on paper, a French manicure is entertained just long enough while you're walking by the nail salon to say, you know what, I deserve that. I work hard. i got to look good for my job. i got to do this. i got to do that. There's a lot of ways that you can justify it mentally if it's never on down on paper anywhere. And you can input anything you want here, any kind of item. But a French manicure, um, i got to look good for my job. But when you put it down on paper and you read down the list that says food, water, electric, gas, groceries, wontons, nail salon. Uh-huh. It, it's a little harder to justify. <laughs> it's a little harder because now you only got to prove to yourself. You got to prove it to your spouse. You got to prove it to God. You got to prove it to whoever's reading that budget, right? It just doesn't look right. You know that it should be farther down. But it's easy to avoid that conclusion if it's not staring you right there in the face, if it's not written down and it's not planned. When you find yourself controlling your money and telling your money what to do, you will find the liberation and freedom from worry and guilt and anxiety that plagues our society today. And I'm going to tell you, these, the, the worry and the anxiety that plague us over money issues manifests itself in other areas of our life. How much better of a father or mother do you think you would be if you did not have so much stress and worry about money or debt? I mean, think about it. And I'm, I'm, talk, I'm telling you from experience because I've done it, okay? Everything I'm telling you, I've done. I've been there. But we build up so much worry and so much anxiety over something that we feel like we can't control that we will, that we will exalt our control onto something else that we know we can. Our kids, right? We're supposed to be able to control our kids, right? And how many times have you blown up over something simple? And as soon as you do it, you know... Oh, I shouldn't have yelled, I overreacted. But we're, we're, we want to exalt control over something because we feel like we have so much uncontrol over here. But the fact is, we've, that is such a farce because we can have as much control over this as we want. 
And that's the beauty of having a spending plan. That's the beauty of having a spending plan. It's because you feel like you have control over here, and then you don't have to go over here like a dictator and get your control over everything else. I know parents are saying, "Mm -hmm, Eva, you don't want to nod your head because you don't want anybody else to know you yell at your kids, but hey, I've beat them like wet dogs occasionally, okay? (laughs) In 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 your seats, you have this, Percentage guidelines. Let's just pull that out real quick because we're going to talk about this. Um, we're going to talk about this budget and we're going to go over it right quick. But this is a, a guideline. You know, if you're making fifty or a hundred thousand bucks a year uh, gross income, this is everything. This is total take home. This is going to give you some guidelines to get started on your budget. And it's going to give you some percentages of what each of these areas may take up of your income. Okay, so it kind of gives you a baseline to work from. Now. I'm going to tell you that the very top one is tithe. And again, this is where parts of your universe get cracked open. You have no idea what to do with the information yet. I've been there, okay? Took me a while, all right? But I'm going to tell you that the tithe is a budgeted expense that God wants you to have in there. And I'm going to tell you, you want it in there. I have seen it too many times that if you give God, the church... 10% of your income, that other 90%, I promise you, I promise you, and God promises you, that other 90% is going to go much, much farther than that 100% ever would have. And I know, know, you know, we're wrapping our heads around this thing, but I'm going to tell you that that the Word of God is very, very clear in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. And this is what God says. This is God speaking directly to the people at the time. He says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do you rob me? Well, God says, I'm glad you asked. In tithes and offerings. God says, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, into the church, that there may be food in my house. And I love this. God says, test me. Test me in this. You don't believe me? Test me. That's okay. I understand. You're human. Okay? I made you. I get it. But test me in this. Test me, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing (laughs) that you will not have room for it. You will not have room for it. You give me the 10%, I'm going to make that other 90 seem like 150. I'm going to make it stretch farther than you would have ever imagined. And let's not forget this last verse, verse 11. It says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not cast their fruit, or it will not drop their fruit. You will get it. So God says, look, I am, test me in this. You give me the tithe, I'm going to make everything else fall into place. And don't think that God, you're going to get a stamped envelope with heaven as the return address with a check in it someday. God very well may keep the, the pests from eating your fruit. He might keep your car from breaking down. He might keep your hot water heater from going kaput. He might keep that big expense from being incurred. God doesn't just say, oh, you're short this month. Here's some cash. God might just keep you from being short that month. So the tithe, I think, is very important, and we budget it at 10%. And that's, you know, I'll tell you that I tithed. 
I didn't start tithing 10%. I just kind of started giving every once in a while when I felt like, oh, geez, I better give something, okay? It's been a while, you know? But once I started getting into the habit of giving God 10%, and it was a true 10%, it wasn't a, a, so people see me putting the check in, it was a true 10%. I remember when my tithe check, my true tithe check was 50 bucks, 100 bucks. But because I was faithful in that, I also remember when my tithe check was 4000 that I was able to bless the church. You'll be there. God, he says, test me in this. So that's all I'm going to say. Test him in this. Taxes is the next one. And don't get me started on taxes, okay? 19 to 25% rough estimate. We're going to talk next week about ways that you can decrease your taxes. And we'll talk about ways to reduce your taxable expenses. The next one is housing and expenses. And this is where you get into kind of the, the mortgage payment and everything else. Now, one of the things, one of the big issues I see here is that people, especially when they're thinking about buying a new house, they look at that mortgage payment and say, oh, I can handle that. I can handle that mortgage payment. But what they forget is the utilities are going to go up. You're a homeowner now, so you're probably going to have to have a lawnmower. There's gas that's got to go in that lawnmower. Now that you're a homeowner, if the hot water heater goes out, it's your hot water heater, right? So there's all kinds of other expenses that go into a mortgage. So if you're thinking about buying a house, you've got to look at the utilities. They'll have the last five years' worth of utilities. Look at January. Look at August. See what it takes to heat and cool that place. Budget that in. That's part of your house payment. I would recommend budgeting in a, a, you know, a little bit each month, if you, a half a percent or so of the house's value for expenses. If you buy a $100,000 house, you ought to budget in, you know, say, 50, 100 bucks a month just to, to make sure that you, well, you can take care of expenses when they pop up because they will. It's a whole other world when you're buying a house, when you own it. It's never the house payment that gets you into foreclosure. It's the house payment plus everything else that you forgot about, all the extra expenses. So housing expenses, so all of that included should not any, you know, ever get more than 23% of your gross income. Food. My wife loves Aldi's. Man, and I love Aldi's barbecue chips. They're the best that man can make. And, and really, I mean, they, I mean, we all know food. I mean, you just... I'm just as good with Sam's Choice Cola as I am Coca-Cola. Tastes all the same to me. Especially if you got kids, okay? Your three-year-old, your five-year-old doesn't care if it says Pepsi on a can. They just care that it's got a cup full of sugar in it. And I'll guarantee you, any soda you pick up is going to have that cup full of sugar. This is my only professional advice to you with food. Don't go shopping hungry. All right? I know it's deep, philosophical. I went to school many years to figure that one out. Just don't go shopping hungry. You'll be okay. All right. But food, 7 to 9%. And this is not eating out food. That's entertainment. This is food to keep the cupboards full to make meals. Okay? Transportation uh, is the next one. This is your car, your car payment, and everything else. Um, don't lease. Don't lease a car. Uh, there's too many things that can go wrong. Too many what-ifs. And if you don't think leasing is really taking on debt, just try to make, stop making your payments. See what they say. I'll tell you it's a debt even though you're going to give the car back someday. Um, and don't go buy a car uh, that gets better gas mileage just to save gas. If you want to sell a car and buy something with better gas mileage, that's fine. But I see so many people going out there, I'm going to buy some little clunker somewhere, I'm going to pay three or four grand for it. It takes you like 25 years. 
<laughs> to make up buying that car just to, so you can save some gas. Uh, just don't do it. I see a lot of people doing that. Insurance, um, 3 to 4%. This is mostly we're talking about your life insurance. Making, and we're going to talk about life insurance next week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. But And debt we're going to talk about. So this lays out the budget. Entertainment, I feel like entertainment should be a little farther down, but that's okay, 3 to 5%. Clothing. Tom already took my, my thunder on my 25% shirt, right? 25 cents right here. I bought this at a thrift store off of 270 about shoo, 12 years ago. And it's coming back in style. You get that? You see how this, all this kind of comes back, all right? So that quarter was a good investment. I'd have paid 40 bucks for this shirt because it's back in style now, right? I think. Isn't it, Mike? Okay. I'm just checking. Um, but this is... <laughs> Golly. All right. Uh, so when you do the budget, here's some guidelines. Okay, here are some guidelines for you. And, and, and these are just a starting point. And what you'd want to do with your budget is you want to try to really get to the point where you have a zero sum at the end. You know, you look at the final two savings and investment. You know, we're talking about getting this down to a zero sum game. You know, where if you've got money left over, which... 80% of us won't. I understand that. But if you do, it goes to paying off debt or it goes into savings. It goes into investment. It goes somewhere. It just doesn't go anywhere. Give it a home uh, or carry it over to the next month and start with a surplus. Now, the one thing with budgets is th this thing is not going to work right the first month. You're going to forget stuff. You're not going to get it in there. You're going to be way off whack. Give it. You got to give it time. Okay. Be prepared to be frustrated for three or four months. Laugh about it. Oh, I forgot about that. Didn't budget this. But I will tell you that um, if you don't get the budget in place, you will be back in debt. And people say, you know, man, if I just had enough money, I wouldn't have any worries, right? If I just had enough money to pay my bills, I wouldn't have any worries. Can I tell you how to get there without having to make an extra dime? Anybody want to know how you can get to where you don't have money worries without having to make an extra dime? Here you go. Another really deep philosophical issue, okay? And here it is. You ready? Spend less than you earn. Five words, right? Spend less than you earn. It's so easy. So easy to think of. But then we drive down the road and, we, oh, is that an 08? Wow. I like the wheels on that one. It's so easy. It's so easy. Running through life, but we spend less than we earn. Because we are, our spending is a simple algebra problem, okay? I loved algebra. But X equals income, Y equals spending. X must be greater than Y, right? Very simple, okay? Very simple. But in the United States, we have made an art form out of introducing a new variable to our very simple algebra equation. We introduced this new variable, and I call the variable Z, which is credit limits and home equity lines and credit cards, all this other stuff, so that we confuse our algebra problem and it's no longer income greater than spending. It turns into this, which is why our spending can now be greater than our income plus all of this extra credit and debt that we have easy access to. It's not a sustainable equation long term. It's not going to happen. This is not sustainable. You're either going to have a financial disaster and declare bankruptcy. You're going to either have an emotional disaster and have a breakdown in illnesses that come from the stress and the worry of having all this other debt so that you could support your spending. Or you'll have a family disaster 
Because 80% of the divorces are over money. Your children hate you. You're divorced from your spouse. It's going to eventually overcome you and it's going to overcome your entire family if, if debt and budgeting is not left unchecked. Let's move on to debt here because debt keeps you from really enjoying life. And if you can get this budget thing set up, the debt is really going to kind of take care of itself. The budget is first. Get this budget set up. And then we move on to the debt. We're going to talk about two sides to debt. The mechanics of debt and the mentality of debt. Because I can tell you how to get out of debt. I can show you how to get out of debt, how to get it paid off, just like I can give you a fish, right, to feed you for a day, right? You know where I'm going with this. But if I don't show you why we get into debt and what we think when we go into debt, a year from now, all the work you put in to get out of debt is going to be for naught because you're going to get right back into debt. So I want to show you how to fish. I'm going to teach you how to fish and show the mentality of debt as long as the mechanics of debt. So how do you get out of debt? Let's visit this real quick. Revisit and simplify your algebra problem. Spend less than you earn. Take the Z out of the equation. It's a line in the sand kind of moment. You've got you to get serious and say, from this point on, I'm not taking on any more debt. No credit cards, no home equity lines, no nothing. If I got to do that to get it, I don't need it. You got to have just, you, you got to get rabid about it. Second, you've got to set up a systematic way to get out of debt. And that's where we come into the debt snowball. You've got another form on your, she, on your chair, the debt inventory. If you pull that out real quick. Now, Dave Ramsey, if you ever, everybody ever heard of Dave Ramsey? Figure out who he is. Find him. He's DaveRamsey.com. This guy's phenomenal. Okay? He kind of put together the debt snowball. It might not have been original, but it's the debt snowball. This is how the debt snowball works. All right? You've got that sheet, your debt inventory sheet. What you do on this sheet is you list every debt that you have. Your credit card, your, home, your car loan, your home loan, everything. Anybody you owe money to. But you list them from the smallest debt to the largest from the smallest payoff amount to the largest payoff. Don't worry about interest rates right now. List them from the smallest to the largest. Then what you do, after you get this set up, you start, you look at that very first debt on the top sheet, on the top line. Everything else below that you make minimum payments to, just to keep them off your back. And that very first debt, you take a, a rabid dog approach and you say, I'm going to live on beans and rice, rice and beans. And that doesn't mean Chinese and Mexican. It means beans and rice, rice and beans. It means no going out, no movies. I'm just getting serious about this. And every extra penny you can scrape together goes to pay off that first debt. After that debt is paid off, that payment goes on to the next debt. And you keep that rabid dog mentality until that debt is gone. And then you take that payment plus the minimum on the next one, and you can see where the snowball effect starts coming in. The reason we do it this way is twofold. Number one... Because it's systematic, it puts it on paper on purpose. But more importantly, uh, why we don't worry about the interest rates is because debt is as much mental as it is mechanical. If you get those debts paid off, you start seeing success, you start getting victories, and you say, I can do this, I can do this. And it starts becoming a game, and it starts getting fun. You actually enjoy having a budget Nazi for a spouse. And if you do this... And Dave Ramsey says you have to do it with like a gazelle-type intensity. If a lion jumps out of the bushes, the gazelle doesn't just say, Oh, hey. 
He is, he's a rocket, man. He is gone. That's what we need today. If you've got debt in your life, you have to look at it as an addiction. Because it is. The mechanics of debt is this. Let's look at the tougher side of it. Let's look at the mentality, okay? That's the mechanics. It's the debt snowball, folks. It's black and white. It's not rocket science. The mechanics are very easy. You list them. And you just say, I'm not going to take any more debt. I'm not going to go to Wonton's Nail Salon until my credit card is paid off. I can take that 50 bucks and apply it to that credit card limit. Right? That's easy, but it's the mentality that is hard. Let's look at the tougher side. Because the job of getting out of debt is easy. The job is easy, but the work is very, very hard. Right? It involves another paradigm shift. It involves changing the way that we look at debt. Debt is not just a convenient way to buy something we need and then we pay back what we borrowed. You don't ever pay back what you borrowed. You pay back triple or quadruple what you borrowed, if you can pay it back. It involves that paradigm shift that looks at debt as an addiction. Debt is as real an addiction as gambling and pornography and alcohol. I'm telling you, it's an addiction. And our society feeds it. We all want to feel responsible, right? We all want to feel responsible. And debt does that. Debt does increase our responsibility. Because we are very responsible for a lot of things when we take on debt. Right? But it increases our responsibility in a negative way because we have so much responsibility to the bank and to the credit card company and to the mortgage company and to everybody else that increases our anxiety, our worry, our stress. And we've already talked about the side effects of that. Right? But taking on debt also as importantly, decreases our response ability. It decreases our response ability. I will tell you that America as a whole is one paycheck away from bankruptcy at any given time. I'm telling you, I've seen it. Would you be able to pay off your bills without a credit card if your paycheck stopped coming in for several months? Thank you. You don't have to shout it out loud, but thank you. Somebody said, heck no. <laughs> no, would you currently be able to capitalize on a business opportunity? What if a beloved family member fell into a financial crisis through no fault of their own? Would you be able to help them out without going into debt? It decreases our response ability when we take on debt. God says that being in a position to lend without worrying about it being paid back is a blessing. But he says... Borrowing brings a curse. That's what God says. God says being able to lend without worrying about it coming back is a blessing to you. But borrowing brings a curse. Now, I don't have to think too long before I know which one of those two I want to be on. There are some presumptions that we make when we go into debt. And I'm going to finish up with this. There are some presumptions that we make when we go into debt. These are presumptions of going into debt. And these are kind of that... I think they're the big white elephants that are out there that nobody wants to admit to. But these are things that run through our mind in our subconscious. We might not give them too much time to think about because it makes us feel guilty and it makes us say no to what we really want, that boat or that car or whatever. Wontons is having a sale, right? But these are some presumptions that we make. These are big white elephants. And I think if we get them out there, I think it's good. Some are spiritual, some are not. We need more than God has given us. That's one presumption we make. I need more than what God has given me to live on. 
How about this? God doesn't know best what my needs are. God says, I put clothes on the flower in the field. I give food to the birds of the air. And you are my favorite, most prized possession and creation. Why would I not take care of you? If the flowers in the field are clothed better than the greatest kings in the world, and if the bird has more food to eat than he needs, won't I take care of you even greater? But we presume that God doesn't know what our needs are, so we've got to take on some debt so we can meet our needs. God has failed to provide for our needs, forcing us to take matters into our own hands. <laughs> I love that one. And it goes right along with this next one. If God doesn't come through the way I think he should... I can find another way. You might pray for, God, I really want that boat. But man, I just haven't been able to save the money up. But you know what? God just enabled the boat maker to do free financing for six months. Thank you, God. No. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> if God doesn't come through the way we think he should, we can just take matter in our own hands. Here's a big one. Clue in. Just because today's income is sufficient to make our debt payments, we will assume that tomorrow's will be too. Are we not presuming that when we take on more debt? I'm making money right now. Surely, I, surely I'll be making the same amount of money a year from now. How about our circumstances won't change? Our health will be good. We will keep our present job. Our salary will keep up with inflation. It's one thing, listen... And this is, this is it, Mike, whoever, if you guys want to come up. If it is one thing to trust God to provide for our needs, but it is a whole other story entirely to presume upon Him the terms of His future provision because we take on debt. In other words, when you're sitting there signing that credit application, you're saying, okay, God, time for you to buck up time for you to hold up here into the bargain and god's saying you know what i don't remember co-signing anything here have you ever gone through a layoff ever known anybody who has a downsizing a medical accident that kept him out of work you ever had anybody go through that we are presuming and we're ignoring the fact that those things could happen tomorrow and then what happens to this debt what happens to this payment that i am choosing to take on today we cannot know what will happen tomorrow. And if we don't know and we cannot control what the future holds, how can we be sure that we can pay off the new debts that we're deciding to take on? These are tough to think about, but they're easy to justify in the heat of the moment. So I want to get them out there. When you mortgage your financial future to things that are out of your control, you're dancing with disaster. Financial disaster, emotional disaster, spiritual disaster God has shown us that God gives us a money plan but it, can we get through the big white elephants in our head that help us to justify everything that we do so that's budgets and that's debts and forgive me because you, know, you can't ever go into as great detail as you want with any of this stuff in this kind of setting but the questions that we're going to have in that final week are really important. Um, you know, you can contact me anytime, and I'll give you my, my contact numbers. But getting past, get the budget set up first, 
and then taking a look at debt just like another, it's another addiction, and you've got to look at it that way. So next week, once we get these two things in place, somewhere down the road, we'll actually be able to start investing. Isn't that wonderful? We all want to kind of get there, right? But we've got to take these steps. We've got to put the proper stakes in the ground in their proper order. So I've already taken more time than I should have. I'm sorry, Tom. You can come on back up. All right, all right, all right. Hey, that was worth it, wasn't it? Sorry. That's good, sound teaching. How many of you, sometimes it's, it's easy to feel pretty helpless when it comes to our debt and when it comes to our finances. Sometimes we like to escape, don't we? And we just like to remain numbed to our situation. So I love this. Um, I love that Chad's given us the real stuff when it comes to finances so that we can, you know, and I, and I want to encourage each and every one of you, grill it up and eat it, ingest it. Go home and look in the mirror and make some hard decisions for yourself because it is important that we get control of this part of our life. I love the response ability, the ability to respond and not to feel like it's out of control. And I want to pray before we dismiss here and thank you for sticking with us for a little bit longer today. Um, I think our speaker was worth it and, um, and um, we, we, we thank you for doing that. Normally we stay about an hour long and we always stay true to that, but um, we wanted to make sure that our speaker got to share this this morning. But I want to pray with each and every one of you, not for warm and fuzzies, okay, <laughs> because sometimes we go to church just to feel good all the time. Uh, we want to pray that some of you get mad, like a righteous, biblical, indignant anger that says, I'm tired of feeling out of control over my finances, over my checkbook. God wants to bless each and every one of you. God wants to prosper you and bless you above anything else in your life. There are benefits to following Christ. There are benefits to following God and obeying what God would have for you. So I want to pray that some of you get angry and you take a look at that budget and you take a look at that spending plan and then you allow God to really just get into your system and, and to say, I want to make some changes this week. I want to pray for each and every one of you that God do that and that God just begin to lay a great foundation underneath you. Father, we thank you. Let your Holy Spirit come into the heart and into the life of each and every person here right now. First of all, we thank you because we are here, and we thank you because we've heard an amazing word from you, God. And we ask that, we, we, we ask that you help us to make good decisions. Help us to be responsible. Help us to take control and not to escape this week. Help us as husband and wife to sit down and really talk about our finances. Anoint and bless our futures, God, here at SOS. We want to be blessed by you. We want to have good behaviors and good habits when it comes to our finances. And we thank you above all.